0: Welcome to Our Social Impact, brought to you by the Prison Scholar Fund. Its mission provides education and employment assistance to help currently and formally incarcerated people succeed and thrive in society while avoiding homelessness and the revolving door of reincarceration. We also advocate for reform in correctional education to increase opportunity for all. As a nonprofit, we rely on investments, volunteers, and are always looking for board members to champion our mission. Please connect with us through our website at prisonscholars.org, where you can find volunteer opportunities, make a contribution, and learn about becoming a board member. Or send an email to info at prisonscholars.org. You can also find us through most social media platforms at Prison Scholars. Become a patron by supporting us directly at Patreon. Find us at Prison Scholars. Without further ado, here's Dirk Van Velzen, Executive Director of the Prison Scholar Fund.
1: Today we have Clinton Taylor, Executive Director of Your Money Matters, financial literacy for young and underserved populations. So tell me about how you got there, Clinton.
2: And welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me, Dirk. Um, well, I, I got there. With the, uh, I got there with the Your Money Matters idea uh, because uh, several years ago I was running a financial literacy program across the Puget Sound where we were working with K-12 students, low-income kids um, in most of the um, elementary, middle schools, and high schools up and down the I-5 corridor. Um, and when I left that program, after about three years of running it, we were educating about 25 to 30,000 students a year. Um, But one of the things that was missing from the program and oftentimes the students would ask for would be that next step. Like, okay, now that we've had a budget class or now that we've had a credit class, Who would I sit down with to help me pull my credit report? Um, Who's going to help me put a budget together? Because it's one thing to give a person a bunch of information, but then when it comes time for application, what do they do with that? How do they unpack that? How do they apply that to their life? Um, And so what I started looking at was programs out there that we could supplement and use with our existing curriculum in the classroom, um, but I didn't find any. And so when I started doing research, what I found was that there was a financial mentoring program, which basically I ended up finding out was code word for financial coaching. Uh, But even with the financial mentoring programs that I did find, there was only about two or three of them in the entire country, and they mentored basically leadership from the top down in corporations. So I didn't find anything that was really centered and intentional around one-on-one. And so when we talk about low to moderate income um, individuals, people who come from traditional um, backgrounds of poverty and cycles of poverty um, in neighborhoods where I like where I grew up, um, if they had any extra money, that's probably not something that they would spend it on during the month. Is a financial coach or a financial advisor, and so what I wanted to do again was not just give students. Um, the information, but also help them to be able to unpack that information as they're applying it to their life, as they're starting to navigate some of these barriers um, around finances in their life as they become young adults. So our program, I was intentional about moving away from the K-12, so to speak, because there's a lot of financial literacy curriculum out here, um, but there's um, not a lot that's geared toward like young adults and millennials in particular. Um, And so what I did was created Your Money Matters financial mentoring program that targets 17 to 25-year-olds. So if you're older than 25, we're not going to tell you you can't be in the program. Uh, But 17-year-olds still keeps us in the high school area because most 17-year-olds are probably going to be high school seniors. Uh, And then we also, so we work with um, high school seniors through college but we also have parents that have been involved in our program that we are mentoring in some of the housing authority programs around around the area. We also have done some work with the younger groups of kids that K through six. But in particular, we've done work with them to attract the parents to come out. Because if you do things with the kids, then the parents will come. And so I just wanted to be able to provide that follow through or follow up, I would say, with the students. So we still provide some basic personal finance classes for level setting with the students. And then as they're going through these series of classes um, that we provide for them, we pair them up with a a mentor who works with them one-on-one for anywhere from six months to a year on average about four to six hours a month. So what's kind of covered in the first class? So it's not in any particular order. Um, Typically, um, what I've seen over the years is that most young people, um, or, or older adults as well, they like the budgeting class, they like the credit class, and then we offer the banking class. And those are probably our three mainstays. And then we get into some investing, we get into some entrepreneurship classes, we get into some risk management insurance, we get into things around taxes and savings and um um how to fill out W2s, how to um you know how to plan for big ticket items in your life, how to start developing a savings plan for the future, um, a lot of different things. Uh, but those are probably the, the top three that that I mentioned early on. And so I, I wanted to do something with you real quick, or not with you, but just share this, some information with you real quick. Uh, uh, just from the financial literacy bigger scope of work that's going on out here. There's a lot of data, um, so I'm not going to give you a whole bunch of it, but just kind of to paint a picture here. Um, One out of four uh, millennials, 25 to 40-ish, could not answer um, but one out of five basic personal finance classes, um, I mean basic personal finance questions. And so, when you think about, and the banking is part of that. So let me, yeah, let me yeah, you can give me the five questions. Yeah, let me. Well, so I, I I didn't I didn't write all five down, but okay, I wrote right. three down of, because these are three that um <clears throat> pretty representative. Pretty representative. Missing, yeah. Right. So one of them asks a question. It says, which factor has the biggest impact on credit score? Having a variety type of credit, the amount of money you owe on your credit cards, the number of years you have had your credit responsibly, or Um, your history of making payments on time or don't know? Well, it's, you know, your history of making your payments on time. Well, 52% of the millennials who answered this question got it wrong. Um, What's the best strategy for avoiding paying interest on your credit cards? Uh, Pay the full balance each month, pay the minimum balance each month, make payments online, have credit cards from two different banks, or I don't know. Well, it's pay the full balance by the end of the month. Well, seventy-eight percent of the millennials got it wrong. Wow, that's good for credit card companies. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one. Um, so, like, if we, if we just want to unpack that,
1: how does that? It seems so obvious, you know. Pay it off; you're not going to pay the interest. So, how do they? Is it, are they being marketed to so they don't get it, or are they just not think about it?
2: No, it's 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 not that the the credit card companies don't have to market that to you because they're banking on the fact that you just don't know. Yeah, and so when this isn't being taught in school, and they're not necessarily learning it at home, some may may be learning it, but the majority aren't. Um, and you're talking about these are this is a survey, five question survey that was given to 25 to 40 year olds. So you think by that time they hit 25, this is just basic stuff yeah, you think they that figured they, it out they should now. know, uh, but they don't. And so with that. Let me share the last one with you real quick. Uh, Which one of these is not a successful budgeting strategy? Keep some extra money in your budget for emergencies. Pay with a credit card if you have a hard time sticking to your budget. Um, Revisit your budget regularly and make adjustments. Or think about which items you um, are most important that are most important needs or I don't know. Um, And the answer obviously is revisit. I mean I'm sorry which one of these is not a successful budget strategy obviously it's not to take credit cards to pay other bills with um, but 79% got it wrong. Hmm. And so when you start thinking about and I just use these as an example um, when you start thinking about almost 80% that took these this answered this question got it wrong. And so when you think about they don't have to credit card companies market in a certain way to try to trick you because they know you don't know. And so even I can use my own example of thinking about when I was a young person, you know, I don't remember anybody ever telling me about credit. I don't remember anyone teaching me how to budget, although I saw my mom doing it. I didn't know that's what it was. And she didn't teach me that that's what it was. I didn't know anything about banking. I share a story with my students um, sometimes around when I was a young person growing up in Northeast Portland in the late 70s. Um, Coming from a a poor income, uh, I mean, a poor, low income family. Um, My mom worked two jobs, but we were still poor, single parent, three kids. But I share with them growing up, I don't ever recall as a kid seeing anybody that looked like me go in a bank. So as a kid growing up, I thought that banks were for rich people and white people who had money. Because in my neighborhood growing up, my experience with banking and what I was exposed to was I saw people going to the liquor store because we had plenty of those on the corners in my neighborhood, cashing checks at the liquor store. Um, They were cashing them at the payday loan places and the check cashing places. We had plenty of those. And then the third place I, I remember very vividly is before most of these grocery stores got customer services and you could walk up to the customer service counter When I was a kid, you could cash your check in the checkout line at at the grocery store. I remember that. Actually, you could go yeah. right up to when you're going through the line. Even if you weren't buying anything, you could just wait in line, go to the checker, and get them your check. And then if they didn't have enough, the manager would come and you know give my. So those are my experiences with they, banking. They didn't take twenty percent back in those days. And they didn't take. And they no, they didn't yeah. take twenty. They didn't take twenty percent or anything like that. And so um, just that alone, not having that basic information and not knowing what credit was and how credit worked. Um, and definitely didn't know how to budget because when I got money, I spent it as fast as I got it. And so um, our program wants to educate young people, um, anybody really, but pretty much we're targeting young adults because, um, again, like I said, we moved away primarily from the K-12 because the younger kids, it's great to start giving them that information when they're young. But right now, if I'm 16, 17, 18 years old, you know, from, you know, the work, some of the work you do as well, is some of these young people are already living in real-time motion. Some of them are already young parents. Some of them are already homeless on the streets. Some of them are already, you know, having legal issues with the legal system. And some of them are young military People like myself, who was a young 18-year-old military person, that I a mean, young person that went out to the military and, and didn't have any clue about how to manage money. And so that's how predatory lenders take advantage of young folks on the college campuses with all of these student loans and stuff because they don't know that the money's not free. They got to pay it back. Or if you're a young adult, you just started out in the workforce. Yeah, so earlier you
1: mentioned it, it kind of you compared your reference group when you were growing up. You didn't see people of color going to the banks. So now that you're serving a different population, are they, are they kind of surprised that they can do the banking? And also, like you talked about investing, that they can own stocks, they can own parts of companies.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How, do they, how does that resonate with them?
2: It's still the same. Um, you still have a lot of people in communities of color that don't trust banks or that um, they have bank accounts and they're not using all of the products that the banks offer. You still have a lot of folks going to um, Walmarts and Fred Meyers and Safeways of the World, grocery chains and department stores and um, um, using their customer service to cash checks and get money orders and pay their light bills and these kinds of things like that. And a lot of the young people that um, we work with, you know, they're even surprised that so if I open a bank account there, you mean I can close it whenever I want to? Yeah, you can close it whenever you want to. I can have a bank account at more than one bank. Yeah, or quest or not even knowing that they could have a bank account at a credit union. Or I thought I had to be a part of that company to have a bank account. No, you don't have to be. You know, part of some some there are some that are that are employee specific, but not very many. Most of them. You know, are still open to the public to have access to these accounts, and a lot of them don't know the difference between a checking account and a savings account. They don't know the difference between a credit card and a debit card because they both have Visa's and Mastercard logos on the bottom of them. Yeah. So they just they don't they don't know the difference. Yeah, tell the difference. Yeah, yes. I I kind of get the uh, the
1: credit union question like like BECU. You think do I have to be a Boeing employee? Mm-hmm. But not
2: necessarily. No. And we want to. And again, that's part of the educating part. Is like these myths that aren't true and then making sure they have the right information. So I'll share a little bit more just kind of uh, about why the work is important um, that we're doing. Um, According to um, a study, a survey, more than 52% of families with a household income of $50,000 or more with at least one dependent has less than three months worth of readily available savings set aside. Roughly 8% of those households don't have a savings at all. 40% of Americans um, could could not pay an unexpected $1,000 expense, such as an emergency room, visit, car repair, um, with their savings. Um, Also, um, 69% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings, and 34% have no savings at all. Nearly six in 10 Americans don't have enough savings to cover at least a $500 expense. According to another study from FDIC, 25% of U.S. households were unbanked or underbanked. More than 24 million American households are underbanked while over 8 million are considered unbanked. And in Washington state alone, um, which is similar to Idaho, um, so the numbers are pretty similar. Four percent of all households statewide are unbanked, and twenty-one percent of all households are underbanked. And what's the difference between underbanked and unbanked? So unbanked means that they don't bank at They'll all. Bank they, don't any, the they don't have money in the They don't even have a bank account at all. And underbanked means that they probably have a bank, a checking account or savings account, but they're still using other. Um, financial avenues to do their uh, financial business. Because I know people that have bank accounts and they'll still go to Walmart and cash their check. Mm-hmm. Or they'll still go to Walmart to do some of their, you know, light bill, phone bill, those kinds of things, pay their bills. Um, and, and the last one is that around, and when you look at the underbank, about 33% of those from all of these numbers that I just quoted are millennials. Interesting. Yeah, twenty five to forty. <laughs> and so when you think about, you know, um, this is our future generation that's right now. And if they don't have this basic, they can't pass one out of five basic personal finance questions. Um, they don't have at least three months worth of reserve funds in a savings. If an emergency happened, you know, they couldn't they couldn't pay a five hundred dollar emergency, you know financial situation that came up um that's not even including dirt the young people that have gotten themselves which we see the numbers are really high and i'm sorry i probably should have had that in here today too because it's one of the largest issues that we see as a as a training firm as a mentoring firm is these car loans they you can't tell me about that. they're huge well, well a lot of do people buy cars anymore it seems like the car ownership Uh, Population is going down. No, people are buying cars, and young people in particular are getting themselves into really bad car loans. Okay. uh, With high interest rates and getting into car loans where, um, you know, they haven't really read the fine print and know what they're signing. And a lot of them are getting into debt behind those because they get behind on the car payment and the car gets repoed or they wreck the car and they don't have the car anymore. And they figure, well, since I don't have the car anymore and I wrecked it, why should I be paying for it? Well, you took <laughs> out a loan to get the car. And that's why a lot of these car dealerships today, um, not all of them, but a majority of them, you'll see signs when you drive down the street. So most people know I'm telling the truth. You'll see signs where no credit check.
1: You don't need no money
2: down or give me $500 down. And we do in-house financing and all of that. And, you know, a lot of times it's not the most reputable financial best practices. And so when you're young, you 20, 21, 19, 22. You don't have very much money you probably got a job that's not making a lot of money and you need transportation and they're not going to ask a whole lot of questions and they ain't doing no credit check and all these other things well i got five hundred dollars i've saved up and they'll go in and you know and and put the money down and you know sign this now you got 42.5 percent interest or some crazy <laughs> yeah, inflated that interest was be my question, what their yeah. interest i don't know if it's that yeah. high but it's pretty high and then there's a lot of other fine print things in there that, you know, they don't read. And so, again, um, and then we're talking about the students with the student loan debts. You know, we work with college students um, at the college campuses. And we're not a debt repair company, but we try to be more preventative to try to, you know, troubleshoot some of this stuff before it actually becomes an issue. At least for education, like, here's the things to look out for. Here's, here's some pitfalls you can avoid. Absolutely. And, 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 and also... Not just the pitfalls, but how to make better money management um, decisions so that um, you can begin to create and build wealth and asset for you and for your future children if you you decide to have some. Or even just, you know, if you're 19 now, you're not going to be 19 forever. If you're 21 right now, you're not going to be 21 forever. You might want to get married you know, in a couple of years, or you might want to buy a house, or you might just want to go on a vacation and do nothing and hang out for a week in some exotic place. But um, having the education gives an individual um, choices that they've always had. They just don't know they have them. And when you have education, you know, as well as I do from the program that you run is education is empowering. You know, and when an individual realizes that they have options, they're probably more likely to make more sounder decisions. Now, are they going to make all the right decisions? No, because even at my age now, all the stuff that I know, sometimes I still make some financial decisions. I'm like, man, I wish I had that one back. (laughs) But when I think about all of the decisions that I made as a young person because of what I didn't know and I didn't have anyone teaching me, let alone with our program, not only are we going to teach you, but we're going to provide you with a mentor who's going to walk alongside you for the next six months to a year at your own pace. It's funny funny you're talking about like the knowledge of who's gonna gain from the financial transaction.
1: I remember taking a finance course one time, and I think they had some quotes from some Wall Street bankers, and my favorite quote I remember was, if you don't know who the sucker is in a deal, it's you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> probably so, probably so, yeah, absolutely. And, and and then when we talk about you know our population, again, we work with the workforce development, so we work with young people who are entering the workforce uh, or are, are already in the workforce working, we work with college students, and usually um, it's first-gen college students or just new to the campus. But we also work with some older college students, and then we work with the reentry population—those um, justice-involved citizens that are coming back or have already come back and transitioned into society. Because that's a whole another population that gets taken advantage of a lot when they come out of, you know, being incarcerated. Myself, I was incarcerated for about eight years, and. Um, Luckily, I had had some foundation under me before I went in um, because I had been in the military and had you know, been to college and done some things prior to getting in trouble. Um, But a lot of young people, they don't have that. And so um, they don't have that background. And so when they come out of incarceration, many of them, not all of them, but a lot of them, were doing some illegal criminal activity stuff around money to get money. Um, And so when they get out, with minimal job skills and, you know, the education piece, they don't have very much education. What do you expect them to do? And when they come out, they don't know that they have options. They don't know that there's other ways to make money. They don't know there's other ways, like the question you asked about the investing. When I'm sitting in a classroom and and we're teaching the investing class, you should see these young people's eyes like, like, is that legal? I can
1: do that? <laughs> I can do like,
2: Coca-Cola? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah I, can, I can buy stock. You mean my 401? They don't even know what a 401k is, a Roth R A. Um, just basically, I asked a kid, uh, I was in classroom one time, I said, how many people in here know what a portfolio is? <laughs> and a kid raised his hand kind of like matter of fact, like, that's a dumb question. I know what a portfolio yeah, is. Like, and thinking? I said, I said, okay, well, what is it? He said, well, that's when they take your picture. <laughs> As one type, type and I both. said that's, that's a portrait, a, I guess. <laughs> I said, not quite. I said uh-huh. it's not a portrait. I said uh-huh. a portfolio. I said, well, it is of a sort. I said it's a your you portrait. You go to portfolio. Your de- I said it's your financial DNA. Yeah. So when I look in your portfolio, I can tell what you're worth, right? And so when I begin to explain that to them, they were just blown away. They were blown away. I have a lot of young people in our entrepreneurship class. Um, I had a young man that I'm mentoring right now. Well, I'm kind of co-mentoring him with someone right now. Um, he said, well, I don't, I don't need a budget. I don't need a credit card. I got a credit card. I've already got a budget. He's 21. Um, I got my own place. I got a job working, uh, but I do want to start a business. And I said, OK, well, what kind of business do you want to start? Well, I he's kind of a young, you know, muscular young man. He works out a lot. He's, he's a personal trainer, certified and all that. He said, well, I train people um, on the side, and I want to start a training business. I said, okay, so you do need to be in our budgeting class, then. You do need to be in our credit class. You do need to sit through the banking class. No, I don't. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Why? Okay, great question. I'm glad you asked. I said, one, banking business is different from personal banking. I said credit banking uh, or credit business is different from personal credit. When you do your, when you do um, business credit, and I said if you I said are you planning on having employees? Yeah, I'm going to have a couple people working for me. Well, then you need a budget because you need to be able to pay payroll. You need to be able to pay people. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. So, okay. And so I said, well, here's what we'll do. And so I'm just, we have different angles in which we mentor people. So it doesn't necessarily, he doesn't necessarily need to sit through like a, basic budgeting class or he doesn't need like a basic credit class because most of our classes are very entry level and basic for people because they don't have that. But he knows what a FICA score is. He knows what APR is. He doesn't need to sit through a basic credit class and learn those concepts. Um, he doesn't need to know, like in our basic banking class, we teach him like, what do you need to open a bank account? And, you know, what types of bank accounts are out there and those types of things. He needs, more, he needs something more. And so I said, here's what I'll do. I said, you need to come above water, you can't be training people under the table because what happens if you someone gets hurt while you're training them? You don't have a business license, you don't have business insurance, and you don't really have yourself covered or protected. And what's your strategic, what's your strategy, what's your plan for the next couple of years? And so as we begin to talk through that, and then he sat through the budget class and put a budget together for the business. He sat through the banking class and then last week, We paid for him to open up a business bank account, and then I also paid for him to get his business license. And then he's gonna be down the road at some point looking at getting a line of credit for his business, but that's down the road. But that's this so we tailor the mentoring piece based on the individual because they're all gonna come in at different places and different Uh, levels of understanding, but we're still focusing on those primary three, that banking, that budgeting, and that credit. And now he's getting into the entrepreneurship piece of it. And at some point, he's going to get into uh, the investing side of it for his business. And then the risk management, the insurance side of it. I love doing that class with the young people because many of them don't, or that are living on their own, they don't have renter's insurance. Most of them are driving. I have a mentee that just bought a car two Saturdays ago, 19 years old, drove it off the lot, don't have no insurance. Uh, Was it financed? No, he saved up. He worked over the summer, and he he had a couple thousand dollars, so he did that part. He listened to me on on that part, uh, and he got a nice car for a couple thousand dollars, but he doesn't have any insurance. And it went right over his head when I said, hey, man, you driving around out here, you ain't got no insurance. He was like, and? And I'm like, no. There's legal a legal matter and there's also the, that's a big asset that you might <laughs> I was, lose. I was like, if, so what happens if you run into someone? I'm not going to hit anybody. What I if said, they, okay, what if they hit what if you? They, what if they hit you? <laughs> yeah. He was like, well, they got insurance. I said, yeah, they might have insurance. <laughs> they might be like you. <laughs> and that's exactly what I told him. I said, you might have somebody hit you that don't have insurance either. And what if your car gets totaled? Or stolen. Or, yeah, and that said that too. I said, what if someone breaks in your car and steals your stuff? And he started thinking, okay, excuse me. So what do I need to do? I said, well, we need to get some insurance. And so I had one of my um, stakeholders. Or, if you, or if you just
1: get pulled over. What's the insurance ticket in Washington? Like four or five hundred bucks. These days? I
2: I don't know because I haven't been driving yeah. without it, so I don't know. But in it, in, in, the, state of Oregon, in yeah. the state of Oregon, in the state of where I come from, in Portland, uh, city where I grew up, um, um, if you get pulled over there and don't have insurance, they tow your car. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, they tow it, and you have to get insurance. That's and more you than a show. Ticket. It, show yeah. it at the courts to the court when you go to court, and then they'll. Re- well, no, you could take it to the tow yard and show them, and they'll release it. And then when you go to court, you have to show the judge that you have insurance. If not, it is that fine. Um, But then you think about your car getting towed and all the money that it costs to get it towed and the ticket you got for not having the insurance. So it's pretty similar kind of out here in Washington. I don't know if they towed your car, but I do know you get a significant. Fine, but not only that, just the liability of you hitting someone or someone hitting you and you're you're not covered. And I told him, I said, you spent the summer, that's hard-earned money that you spent earning and bought a car. It'd be a shame if something happened and you weren't covered. You bought a really nice looking car. Yeah, it's all sh- it was all in the parking lot, all shined up and uh-huh. everything. And so, um, but yeah, and, and then again, kind of going back to the to the young people that are incarcerated when they come out. You know, we're really trying to you know capture as many of them, trying to get inside the institution and do some of these classes before they get out. But um, we haven't quite got there yet. We got some conversations going on with some folks to do that. But we definitely are reaching out to their parole and probation officers or CCOs, whatever they're calling here in the state, um, to try to connect with those individuals because most of the crime that people re-offend and commit, um, there's always something money-related tied into it. Uh, People might say, well, you know, what's your program going to do? I mean, what's the outcome? What are you trying to see here? Um, Well, the outcome that I'd like to see is that, again, young people are going to have information, have the right information, have the support that they need um, while they're um, uh, implementing some of these tools in their life. And, and, and the outcome here is that we want all of our participants, uh, mentees that is, to have a bank account, to know how to manage their bank account um, correctly, know how to read their bank statement every month, know what's going on with their money. We want them to um, know how to pull their credit report, how to read a credit card statement, how to research credit cards, and pick the one that's going to be best for you. We want them to all have some type of insurance, whether it's renter's insurance, life insurance, car insurance, or all of the above. We want them to have a budget that they have created and that they're working on that budget every month. Um, And we want them to start creating a savings plan and have some savings, whether it's, you know, $10 a month, $20 a month. And we also, if that this is the case for the individual. We want to see them reduce their debt, and so with that, that's a that's a that's a mouthful. Um, yeah. But but that's just the basic things that we should all have anyway. Everybody should be have a budget that they're working off of. Me and you included. You know, our parents included. Everybody should have a budget. Everybody should have a bank account. No one should be using check cash in places. You definitely shouldn't be keeping your money at home under your mattress or outside in the coffee can behind the garage <laughs> where my mom used to keep the money. Um, and so, <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. No, not she doesn't anymore. Um, everybody should have some type of insurance because one of the things I tell students oftentimes is there's always the what-if factor. There's always the what-if factor, you know, and so everybody should have some insurance. And everybody, regardless of who you are, unless you're Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or somebody, you know, all of us working people should have some savings. If life happens, that what-if moment happens, um, you should be able to put your hands on, I don't know, X amount of money at least, right? Because it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. So
1: you mentioned your partnerships. Do you partner with the banks too? Since there's, you have so many unbanked and underbanked, it seems
2: like it's a really great feeder for the banks to get new clientele. And how does that look? Uh, yeah, we do have partnership with quite a few uh, financial institutions um, who did also begin to fund some of the work that we're doing. And you kind of screen the banks as good partners for the, the students, or do you kind of just educate them to make their own decision? We educate them to make their own decisions, but we don't, screen the, we don't screen the banks or the credit unions because coming through the door, um, they already know because I'm pretty upfront that we're not trying to steer any of our participants to your branch. And how did you get, how did you get into this in the first place?
1: So you got out in 2004. I'm, I'm guessing you probably didn't straight do this. You maybe got some where you were working or started a business first. So when did you transition into financial education
2: that's a good question um i just kind of fell into it so to speak um when i got out in 2004 i was i was kind of doing a lot of labor work because that's what i knew a mil- military uh guy and i was um you know drove trucks in the military did supplies and those kinds of things so when i got out of prison in 2004 i went back to what i knew to do you know I was driving delivery trucks and doing warehouse work that kind of stuff and then one day i was just like man it's got to be more than this. It's got to be more to it than this. And so... Um, as um, fun as driving trucks are. Yeah, I mean, I liked it. It was okay. And I, I mean, I still like driving today. I still want to do it for a living. It's but it's also going to be all automated in 20 years. So Yeah, not, they ain't going to need nobody, right? Yeah. Everybody's cars are going to be driving themselves and yeah. all this other kind of you stuff. You got to see that working. coming. They, well, they, they say they got something right now that can do it. I know. Um, but I, I decided to go back to school. And that was kind of on my my mind anyway when I was incarcerated because the opportunity wasn't afforded to us. And so I wanted to go back to school. So I did, got my first AA degree when I got out. And then I transitioned and got my bachelor's degree. And then I took some time off. And then about four years ago, I went back and got my master's degree. And so during that time, I transitioned out of the, the labor force and started getting into volunteering, doing work at some uh, youth shelters and um, homeless facilities for young folks. and. Um, got a job there doing some work um, and then it just the bug you know just got the bug I never imagined working with young people Um, my first full full time job of working with young people was about four years after I got out in 2008 I started working for the Portland Public School District I was working at George Middle School and I was a case manager for a program um, where we were trying to work with Um, K-8, actually, I was at the middle school, so middle school students, where we were trying to cut down on truancy and out-of-school time, and I mean, out-of-classroom time, kids getting sent out of class, or kids, you know, skipping class and those kinds of things, so that was my first real introduction into working with not only students, but working with families and going back into communities that I grew up in, that I was familiar with, helping families you know, find employment, find housing, just get stable, and then working with the kids on after-school homework stuff and trying to keep them in class. You know, working with them on their behavior um, intervention things like that, and it just kept going from there. And then I transitioned from there and ended up at an alternative high school as a high school dean and a student service coordinator. Worked there for a while, then I came here, and moved here from Portland and, um, uh, with my wife, and it was something that I had never done before was the financial literacy piece. And so one day I was talking to someone um, at a job fair and she was like, yeah, I work for this place and we do this and we do that and we're hiring for a program manager for our our program. And I said, well, tell me more. And she got to telling me, sharing some of this data that I just shared with you here and talking about that, that missing piece that's missing Is people not having basic personal finance knowledge of how to manage their money or just having the knowledge in general. And I was like, wow. And I started thinking like, I don't remember anybody coming to my school talking to me about money or at home. And um, I remember taking an economics class in high school. And I remember, you know, we had to fill out the checkbooks and all that kind of stuff. I remember doing some of that. I didn't pay much attention to it when I was in school. And so um, I pursued that opportunity. And so they hired me on. Um, to be the program manager. They were opening a new branch here in the Washington area because they're based in, in Portland, Oregon. And so I took over that. And, and when I took over, we didn't have any partners. We had you know minimal funding. Um, and we didn't have any participants, any classrooms or schools, not, no stakeholders. And I, again, when I left there three years later, we were educating almost 30,000 students across the Puget Sound. We had well over 200 um, community stakeholder partners, and we basically had a revenue of close to almost $2 million. Very cool. Yeah. So what are the biggest
1: needs your organization has
2: now? Well, you know... <laughs> I know we talked about some of this you know, You know yeah. as well as I do, there's always when nonprofit, it's, it's always a money thing, yeah. um, because we want to be able to replicate this um, all across the Sound at some point, and even nationally uh, down the road. Uh, So we definitely have a need for folks to give, and you can visit our website at www.yourmoneymattersmentoring.org to do that. Um, But also, we need mentors. We need folks who want to engage young people. And again, like I said earlier, you don't have to have a background in personal finance or money management. In fact, it probably... It's better if you didn't. I mean, it's great that you do, but I mean, that's not a prerequisite. And so, um, and do you have an email or phone number they can reach yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. So you could email us at uh, ymm, that's triple m, <laughs> ymmm.info at gmail.com. And you can call us if you want at uh, 206 636 2828. Sounds good. Yeah, absolutely. I heard you need some board members. So you're on the hunt for. Uh... Yeah, yeah, we're on the hunt for a couple board members. Uh, because folks transition, things happen, yeah. and so folks that have transitioned off, they were with me from the beginning, so they've been with us for a couple of years, and um, you know had some life changing things that um, pulled them away, and so we're looking um, towards the first of the year to uh, bring on at least two, preferably three, but at least two to the board. And so if you're interested, again, you can email me at the YMMM.info at gmail.com. Um, or you can email me personally at Clinton. It's Clinton at your money matters, uh, Um Or you can call me at the phone number that I gave, and uh, we'd love to talk with you about it. And if you're interested in giving, um, you can also... You, if you want to just give, you don't want to do it online, you can mail to us at PO Box 52, Auburn, Washington, 98071. And that's made out to your money matters. Yep, be made out to your money. Don't want to make it out to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> make it out to your money matters. And, um, yeah, and then a couple other things too. We are also going to be having our, our first annual gala, um, coming in the spring in April because April is National Financial Literacy Month. So there'll be more information on our website about that coming soon. And we're also going to next month in October, we're going to be having two of our first meet and greets for the community. Um, These kind of lunch and learn. So you come out, I'm going to feed you. Um, You get a chance to meet some of the mentees in the program, some of the mentors in the program, maybe a couple of board members there. Um, And that's going to be October the 10th in Seattle. And then we're going to have another one on October 24th in uh Tacoma and so you can check that out on our website for locations and time and we'd love to have you if you want to come just make sure you RSVP so we make sure we have enough space and food for everybody perfect yeah. I'll be there well yeah absolutely and keep considering the board <laughs> definitely, definitely will. let's, let's absolutely. talk, talk yeah. about that offline absolutely well thank absolutely. you so much for uh, sharing your story today thank and you what, so much for having me and for what you do I thank you so much for what you do as well. I mean, I just uh, have a lot of respect for you and admire you from a distance from the work that you do because, um, you know, what you're doing as well, uh, there's not very many people doing what you're doing and trying to make the impact that you're making and a difference in the lives of people that for the most, ca- in most cases, society then forgot about. Yeah, definitely. So I thank you, I thank you for the work that and the service that you're doing as well. All right. Well, thank you much, and uh, I'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thank you. All right.